Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Okay, with that, we are going to jump into our message today as we continue our series Christ the King, seeing Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Today we're in Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. The title of today's message is Jesus in the Wilderness, as we see that he was led out by the Spirit into the wilderness, and he was tempted by Satan. Mark chapter 1, verses 12 through 15. I'm reading out of the ESV. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. And after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Now, it tells us that Jesus went to the wilderness, but it doesn't give us a lot of detail what happened out there. The gospel of Matthew actually does give us more detail. And so for that reason, I'm going to pull in just a couple verses from the Gospel of Matthew, to show us what happened when Jesus went out into the wilderness. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And at the reading of God's word, let's pray. Father, I pray, open our eyes that we would see wonderful things in your word today. As the psalmist once prayed, we pray for ourselves. By your grace, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing that we see here, I think that's encouraging to me, is it says, both in Mark and Matthew, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. You know, if you're in a wilderness of pain, of confusion, of stress, of strain, of brokenness, of grief, it's encouraging to know that the Spirit is the one who leads us there. Even though the devil's in the wilderness, the devil is not in charge of your wilderness. God the Father is. He is sovereign, and in his providence, he leads us sometimes in his wisdom to wilderness places to show us more of his love and his grace and his promises. So be encouraged by that. But I don't want to spend my time talking about that today. just wanted to mention that by way of encouragement. What I do want to talk about are three things I think we learned from Jesus when he was in the wilderness. Three things. Number one, the devil's a liar. Number two, where the battlefield is for spiritual warfare with the devil. And number three, what's the devil trying to do? What's Satan trying to do? When he attacks a person, when he attacked Jesus, what did he try to do? And in in seeing that, we'll see what does he do to try to attack God's people. Well, the first thing that we see here is that the devil is a liar. You know, sometimes in the modern Western church, you have people who consider themselves Christians who don't actually believe the devil is a real person. Matter of fact, uh, the Barna Research Group, who sort of polls the church and what modern you know beliefs are in the modern church, I remember reading a, a 
a post a while back that said this certain percentage, and it was a high percentage, this certain number of people who consider themselves Christians do not believe the devil is an actual person, that he's sort of a concept or like the personification of evil, this sort of allegorical symbol of evil in the Bible. Listen, this text doesn't say that a concept drove Jesus out into the wilderness or the personification of evil uh, drove Jesus out into the wilderness. The devil is a person. He is a, he is a fallen angel who tried to overthrow God's throne. He was cast down to this world. And Revelation 12, where we've been reading in our Bible reading plan, calls him the one who deceives the nations. He's a deceiver. In John 8, 44, Jesus called him the father of lies. So think about that. The devil is referred to as a deceiver and a liar, father of lies, which that is to be understood as, you know, the procreator of lies, the one who creates and implements and, and tries to uh, infiltrate our thinking with deception and lies in this world. So that's the world we live in, a fallen world full of sin with a, an actual uh, enemy who has a, a tactic to take us down. Into that world comes a baby born in a manger, and he grows up, he begins to preach the gospel, and one day he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And in John, that was John 14, 6, and in John 8, 31, 32, Jesus says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus sets, him, sets himself up as a direct uh, opponent of what the enemy is trying to do when he says the devil's a liar and he says, I am the truth. So where is the battlefield? Where do we, where do we engage in this spiritual warfare? Well, the battlefield we find is in the mind. That's the main battleground for spiritual warfare. Think about it. If the devil's a deceiver, where does deception happen? Tween the ears. If he's a liar, where do we hear and believe lies? Between our ears. He wants you to think, the devil wants you to think wrong about God, about God's word, about grace, about how we're accepted by God, about what the truth is. And you know, we have a lot of this stuff today about, you know, your truth, my truth. Uh, truth is not an individual uh, individually created thing. Now, you might have your experience and my experience. Okay, that's one thing. But your truth and my truth, truth transcends my feelings and my experience. Truth transcends your feelings and your experience. I don't have to like something for it to be true. I mean, the law of gravity tells me that. I don't have to, I don't like the law of gravity. I don't like that I fall off the building when I, you know, if I step off the, the edge of the, of the roof. Sorry, kind of doesn't matter what you feel, truth dictates to you, you don't dictate to truth. And Jesus says he is the truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it tells us more about the deception that happens in our mind when it says this, for the weapons of our warfare, talking about spiritual warfare, are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So this says that 
The spiritual warfare, the power of the gospel is to destroy strongholds. And now what are strongholds? It tells us in this verse what strongholds are. Speculations. He says, we're destroying them. We're destroying every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. So it's false knowledge. And we're taking thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ. So it's thoughts contrary to scripture. There you go. Strongholds are speculations, false knowledge, and thoughts contrary to the truth of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, Paul writes this, So that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And that word schemes is the, word, the Greek word noma, P-O-P-N-P-N-O-E-M-A, and it means thoughts. So let me insert that in there. That no advantage would be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his thoughts. Paul's saying, we know how he's trying to get us to think. We know he's trying to get us addicted to self-salvation. We know he's trying to divide us. We know he's trying to fill us with pride. We know he's trying to condemn us. We know he's trying to twist the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. He's trying to twist the truths of the gospel. And so that's where the battlefield is, right here, right between the ears. Devil's a liar, battlefield's the mind. Number three, what, what is he trying to do in the mind? And we just referenced it here. His goal is to set up those strongholds, those speculations, false knowledge, thoughts contrary to scripture. Let me give you a, a second, maybe a, a little deeper definition of a stronghold that we can wrap our minds around. A stronghold is a way of thinking impregnated with hopelessness contrary to the gospel of Christ. Hear that? A stronghold is, it's a way of thinking, impregnated with hopelessness, contrary, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we need to understand is that the devil's power over a believer is in the lie. He doesn't actually have power. The, the, the gospel teaches us that he was defeated. Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, he said, speaking of himself. Therefore, go. Well, if Jesus has all authority, how much does the devil have? None authority. Zero. Then why are so many Christians defeated by Satan and demonic influence? I'm not saying they're demonized or demon-possessed. The, the, when I say demonic influence, I mean the false gospels, the way of thinking, the deception that leads us away from the truth of Jesus Christ. It's because we believe a lie. The only power the devil has is the, the degree of the lie that we have believed. Kind of like my grandparents' dogs in Florida. I grew up in New York. We'd go down and visit them in Florida, and they had these two little yappers. And as this little kid, I was like, they'd, they'd make all this noise, and I'd be scared and go run behind my parents. And, you know, one day it's like, wait, I'm bigger. Uh, I can yap back. Do they actually have power over me? So I yap back at them. And they put their tail between their legs and go running away. Did those dogs actually have power over me? No, none power. Except the degree of the lie that I believed that they did. So I gave them power. And until I saw the truth, I wasn't free. And Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And that's why we say that not knowing who you are in Christ is the source of every spiritual conflict. If you read uh, Neil Anderson's books, 
victory over darkness or the bondage breaker. He talks a lot about this, how not knowing who you are in Christ, not knowing your identity in Christ is the source of every spiritual conflict. Now, let's go back to the text. Okay, we've talked a lot, a lot about sort of introducing uh, what's going on in this text. Let's go to the text. Look at what the devil did to Jesus. Okay, he gets a shot at the Son of God. He's probably been planning this a long time. He's going to bring his best punch, you know, think about like a UFC fight, you know, I mean, these guys are training, they're going to bring their best attack to the fight. The devil's bringing his best attack to the fight, and he begins with this, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. It's like, okay, what? Why is that so diabolical? Why is that such a great attack? Listen, Satan is a master psychologist. And this is his best punch. What was he doing? If you are the son of God, don't you see? He was tempting Jesus to question his identity before the father. Are you really the son of God or are you crazy? Maybe you're just a crazy man. Satan's weapon was a lie. You know, one of the ways to introduce heresy is not by making an absolute statement, it's by asking a question. Did God really say... That's what Satan, that's how he began all this in the garden and with Adam and Eve in the fall. Did God really say? Same thing he's doing here. Are you really the son of God? What actually are you? Listen, this contradicts what Jesus was just told by the voice that spoke from heaven in his baptism that we looked at last week. A voice from heaven came and said before everyone, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Same chapter, a couple paragraphs later, devil comes, if you are the son of God. Why, why would Jesus need to question that? His father just affirmed him. He knew who he was. And yet Satan is trying to get him to doubt his identity, his purpose, his relationship to the father. And here's the devil's strategy right here. Here's how he works. He spends all his time trying to convince unbelievers that they are the children of God, huh? that they are okay with God, and yet, unless grace intervenes and they repent, put faith in Christ, they're actually going to hell. And he tries to convince unbelievers that they, they're okay. They're on a good path. But then he, once somebody becomes a believer, they believe in Jesus, he spends all his time trying to convince them that they are not the children of God, and destroy confidence. And you know, when, the, when Jesus came and preached the gospel and said repent, in one way, yes, he was saying turn from sin. But you know the word repentance literally means change your mind. He, the, the, the challenge of the gospel, the first challenge of the gospel is repent. Change your thinking. Change your mind about God, about your life. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul says this, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's, that's what the gospel does. It renews our mind. It gets us to think different. Jesus is the truth. He destroys the lies. He destroys false identities. And we begin to live as new creations in Christ, as sons and daughters of God. And I love this picture that... Um, I've shared often over the years that hopefully will encourage you today. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Uh, think differently. 
I like to think of it like we are, if you're, if you're one of God's children, then you are a, a prince in this world or a princess with amnesia. You know what amnesia is, right? You hit your head, forget who you are. So let's say that you're the, the son of a king. For like a, an actual uh, like earthly king. And you come to visit America, and when you are getting off the jetway, you hit your head on the jetway and forget who, who you are and start wandering around the streets of Nashville wondering who you are. What's going on? I don't know. What, what's your name? I don't know. I don't know who I am. And let's say that that prince just begins to wander, gets lost, gets hungry, he's living on the streets, and just to get food, he goes and he's just starts eating garbage out of a dumpster in an alley. Everybody's looking for, you know, uh, Prince, uh, Prince Joe. Joe's part of our church. Prince Joe. Let's say I'm walking along the streets of Nashville one day, and I look down an alley, and I see Prince Joe in the alley. And I go down the alley, I say, Joe? Joe? And Joe looks at me and goes, what? Uh, Prince Joe. What if Joe said, what are you talking about? I'm not a prince. I, I don't feel like a prince. Question. Are Joe's feelings, would Prince Joe's feelings be relevant in that moment at all? Hmm? I think you know the answer. The answer is, nope. His feelings have absolutely no relevance at all to the reality that he is a prince. He is the son of a king. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you're in Christ, you have a new spiritual reality. Your feelings will come along and say, not true. Uh, God doesn't really love you. You're not really in Christ. You're not really saved or you're not fully saved. You, you, you know, you, there's more to do. And the gospel comes along and says, beloved, now we are the children of God. Now, if Prince Joe believed me, you know, let's say I took, a, I took a newspaper and I was like, look right here, see this? It's you. Picture of Joe, story about Joe. And he looked at the paper, he goes, man, that, that is me. He said, I don't fully understand what it means, but I believe you. And I'm going to start to learn who I actually am and live out of my true identity. He'd probably leave the alley, probably stop eating garbage. Probably throw his shoulders back a little bit, pick his head up. I'm a prince, man. <laughs> I'm a prince. What am I doing here? Begin to live differently. And so it is with those who are in Christ. When we believe the gospel and what it says about us, we stop eating garbage. We leave the alley. We throw our head back and our shoulders back. Not in arrogance, but confidence that we are the children of God. We are loved. We're princes with amnesia. Princesses, not me, some of you, <laughs> with amnesia. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the strongholds fall, the ways of thinking, impregnated with hopelessness, contrary to the gospel of Christ. So how do we deal with the lie? How do we deal with the lie? James, Christ's apostle, tells us in James 4, 7. It says, submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. How do we resist the devil? In two ways. We believe truth, and that's, that's how we submit ourselves to God. And then we resist Satan. 
So we believe truth. That's the first thing. God's power is in the truth. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That tells us that the more we hear about Christ, the more we hear the word of Christ, that's a synonym for the gospel. The more we hear the gospel, the more we learn about who Jesus is and what Jesus did on the cross and through his resurrection, we are changed. So the more you learn about Jesus, the more your faith grows. So you submit to the truth by hearing it, by listening to it, by, by reasoning with it, by believing it, by letting it get into your mind and your heart. And here's what happens when we do that, when we continue to stare at the gospel. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, don't let that verse, don't, don't skip that verse. Let, gotta hear what's going on there. We all with unveiled face, in other words, we can see Christ now. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. In other words, your transformation in Christ, your growth as a child of God, as a prince of heaven, as a prince or as a princess of our Heavenly Father, you're transformed as we stare at the gospel and you're transformed by the power of the Spirit that's at work in the gospel. Seeing God's love in Christ transforms you. It changes you. You know, a few years back, I was in Albany, New York with our ministry, uh, Isaiah 6, when we used to travel and music and speaking. And, and I, I just preached the gospel at one of our concerts that night. And he was in a church. And uh, this man named David came up to me afterwards. And he goes, this guy was very, very, like, dark looking. And I, I, don't, I don't mean colors. I mean, like, this spiritually dark, even though he wore it, he had like a dark robe on and dark beard, dark jet black hair, dark eyes. And he said, uh, he was there with his wife and he said, my name's David. He goes, so basically what you were saying tonight was that if I obey the 10 commandments that I can be saved and go to heaven. I'm like, was this guy in the meeting? Cause <laughs> that is literally the opposite of what I said. So somehow by the time whatever I said got through his ears, it was twisted and deceived. And I thought, I thought to myself, man, there, there might be something demonic going on here with this guy. I said, no, we're saved by grace. And then he, not long after, said, how do you get a demon? Which was kind of an odd question in a casual conversation after a concert. How do you get a demon? I said, well, um, uh, I think drugs can open the door to demonic activity. I think uh, uh, trauma, the occult. And when I said the occult, he looked at his wife and he said, see? And I said, what's going on? He goes, can we, can we meet in private? So I asked the pastor if we could meet in, in if I could meet this guy in his office. So this guy um, and I and uh, his wife, went into his, his office and uh, the pastor's office and he began to tell me about his past, how he'd gotten into the occult, which is, you know, devil magic, um, because he wanted to prove to Satan that he was stronger than he was. Absurd. Talk about deception. So he just got into so much witchcraft and all these things and he talked about how 
uh, he was involved in the death of others through through curses and and uh, the, the different you know black magic that he used and just just awful awful. And then he said that every time he drove by a graveyard, he could hear voices in his head. And he said, my my friend didn't believe me, so I had him blindfold me, put me on the floor for the back of the car. And I told him when we were at the graveyard, because I could hear the voices. And so I said, David, um, I want to do sort of a, an exercise with you. And I gave him a piece of paper, and I had him write out all of his occultic uh, activities, everything he'd been involved in. And it was a long list. Astral projection, you know, uh, Ouija boards and pentagram, this sacrifice, it is all this stuff that he was involved in. He wrote the list down. So I took the list and I put it in front of him and I said, now I just want you to go through and I want you to repent to the Lord for each one. We're changing our mind tonight. We're, we're turning from these things and we're breaking allegiance with you know, the, the demonic activity in your life that came through your contact with this. So let's, let's repent and ask the Lord to forgive you. And he just stared at the list like this. And he looked up at me and he said, God won't forgive me. And I said, really? Why do you say that? He says, it's just, I've, I've gone too far. So I opened a 1 John 1, 9 in the Bible, and I put the Bible right next to his list, and it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I said, David, you see that word all? And I said, which of your sins is not included in the word all? And he looked at his list, and he looked at the scripture. He looked at his list. He looked at the scripture. He looked up at me with hope in his eyes. And he said, he will forgive me. I said, yeah, he will. He went through that list and it was, it was, we had quite a long session and prayed with him <clears throat> and just challenged him to repent and believe the gospel, told Satan and whatever, you know, whatever foothold, stronghold he had, he had to leave. And, and it was a really powerful experience. And, you know, the guy was deeply moved and, and just, you know, weeping, and, and uh, he went home. He came back the next day. To, we had a, a couple meetings at that church. He came back the next day, and he, and he just looked like a little boy. His countenance had changed. The Bible says that your countenance will change when you're in Christ. He looked like a little boy, and he said, I can't believe it. He said, I, I told my wife to drive me by a graveyard on the way home. And he said, now I don't hear the voices anymore. He says, I'm free. I said, you are free, David. You're free in Christ. What happened there? What happened? There were lies that he believed that God wouldn't forgive him, that he was a slave to Satan. And I know that's a radical, extreme story, but I want you to see the power of the gospel even in that story. When he saw the truth, the truth set him free. So how do we deal with a lie? How do we submit to God? We believe the truth. And one of the ways we believe that is we repent of not believing it. We turn to the truth. So again, we see that the essence of discipleship is being transformed by the renewing of your mind, not simply re externally reforming your behavior outwardly, but it's being transformed by the gospel, by the renewing of your mind. So how do we deal with a lie? First, we, we, we submit to God by believing the truth. And then secondly and finally, we resist the devil. What does it mean to resist the devil? We resist the temptation to believe lies or to give, one of the ways we believe lies is we give into sin. Like 
when I sin, that, that is a moment when I'm, I'm not believing, not believing the gospel when I sin. I'm saying, I don't believe that Jesus is enough for me in that moment. I need this sin. I need this idol. Here's what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape so that you may may be able to bear it. So that tells us that God does not put his children in a situation where we will inevitably lose to, to Satan. That he's given us power over temptation, not to give into it. Uh, and, and how did Jesus do it? Jesus said, it is written. It is written. It is written. So we believe truth. And we, we resist the devil by saying, no, I, I, I don't need this thing to complete me. I believe that I'm completing Christ. See, I'm believing truth about myself. Uh, I don't believe that I'm condemned. I don't believe that I'm damned. I don't believe that, um, that, God is against, that God is against me, but in Christ he's for me. See, we believe the promises and the truth. We resist the lies. We resist the deception. We resist the, the sin that the deception would cause us to give into. And we begin to walk in faith in the will of God for our lives. You know, there's three levels of victory and defeat. I want you to picture a person walking down a, 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 you know, a, a, an alley between two apartment buildings. And when the person starts to walk down the alley and their destination is to get to the end, if somebody comes out and says, hey, hey, what are you doing down there? You're a loser. You'll never make it to the end of this alley. What are you even trying for? What does the most defeated person do? They just sit down and they just put their head in their hands and say, it's true, I'm a loser. Oh, why did I even try? I can't safely make it down this alley. That's the most defeated person. What, what's the second most defeated person do? They look up at the, at the liar and they just spend all their time arguing with the liar. That's not true. And the reason it's not true. Is it true? No, the reason it's not true is this. Yeah, but what if this happened? Well, no. And then they argue with the liar. And meanwhile, they're not making any progress. What does a victorious person do? What do you think? Tell you what they do. They ignore the liar and they keep walking. That is how we resist the devil. That's how we resist temptation. We we believe what the truth says, not what the lie says, and we keep walking in the will of God and what we know to be the will of God. I think I'd be amiss to give a message like this and not refer to Ephesians 6, which talks about putting on the armor of the Lord in spiritual warfare. I want you to listen to this as an encouragement as we kind of landing this plane of this message. Paul writes in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, remember the thoughts of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is 
the word of God. First of all, sheesh, somebody's about to shoot at me. I mean, how can I not conclude that when I read this text? Put on armor, put on a breastplate, put on a helmet, you know, put on a, uh, a belt of truth. It's like, I must have a target on me because somebody's about to shoot at me. Belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, boots of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. You know, I'm not going to break all this down because in some ways I can summarize it with one simple idea. These are all nothing more than synonyms of the gospel. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness that speaks of the righteousness of Christ, the, the clean slate he purchased us before the Father. Boots of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, faith in Christ, helmet of salvation, the salvation Jesus purchased for us. It's just the gospel. Paul is saying your armor is believing the gospel. Now, look at what happened after Jesus won in the wilderness. The end of our text today, Mark 1, 14 and 15. Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. We're healed by truth. We're made strong in the truth. Then we head out into the world as healed people and shine the light of the gospel. We go out as complete people into the world who need nothing from the world to complete us. And therefore, we can reach people for Christ as we go out. Let me pray for us today. Father, I want to thank you for my friends listening today. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you overcame at the cross and in you we overcome. Our lives are in you. Our past is forgiven. Our present and future are secure. We thank you for your love for us. Help us to walk in the love of Christ and the power of the gospel today and in the days to come. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Till next time, remember, Jesus is enough. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.